Welcome to Freed Up. This is the podcast that makes life feel lighter. And if you're wanting to live freed up and not fed up, stay connected right here. Pull up your seat. Join us in this place where faith and mental health meet. I'm your host, Tina Robertson, a licensed clinical social worker, a mental health therapist, and trainer. And whether you're returning here or it's your first time, I hope you find this podcast as a resource to elevate your faith in mental health. So stay a while, all of you, and let's get it all started. So listen, I wanted to start off today by sharing this quote with you by Dr. Lisa Firestone, who is a psychologist who's done a lot of research in the area of attachment. She and Dr. Dan Siegel. So if you're looking for some folks to follow that will give you some really great, competent research-backed information on this, those are two names you can follow. Here's what she says. Our style of attachment affects everything from our partner selection to how well our relationships progress to how they end. That is why recognizing our attachment pattern can help us understand our strengths and vulnerabilities in a relationship. An attachment pattern is established in early childhood attachments and continues to function as a working model for relationships in adulthood. So I wanted to share that as to grounding and understanding of why it's so important that we have this conversation. And I wanted to be able to do it and bring in some experts information because there's a lot of stuff that floats around out there in social media. And I wanted you to be able to get some really good research backed information through the platform of Freed Up, right? So just as a basic overview on attachment styles and why we cover them, we're doing it because We are focusing on this in our year of investing in relationships. And we know that attachment patterns are primary factors and they're behavioral indicators of how we're going to show up in our relational spaces. So how does attachment work? And then what is it? Your attachment style is usually established through the bond that you had with your primary caregivers. And that's when you started learning how to express your needs, how to assess your safety, and then how to respond to others' emotions and behaviors. So as we think about attachment, we've also talked about secure attachment, which is marked by the ability to approach relationships with more openness and confidence and respect. And so those who were attuned to and had their emotional and physical needs met in a pretty consistent way, these are the folks who are more likely to have had a secure base in childhood so that in adulthood, these individuals are much more comfortable with emotional and physical intimacy and they can respond to other people's needs while also being able to express their own. And generally speaking, they are able to manage relational conflicts in a healthy way and not take everything so personally. Um, They're also not afraid of abandonment or rejection. And so they can be more trusting and kind of explore deeper intimacy within a relationship. Now, we also talked about in the last several episodes that insecure attachments, they form when primary caregivers or adults in a child's life 
did not attune to a child's needs and they didn't engage in this repair process consistently when a breach happened in trust. And so that results in patterns or sets of behaviors that were and are enacted to soothe themselves and find a sense of safety and security. Now, these behaviors in childhood that are used to kind of cope and have resourcing for safety, generally they are not healthy ones and they follow us into adulthood. So these last two episodes, we discussed in detail two of the three insecure attachment styles. So the first one we talked about was the ambivalent anxious pattern, which is referred to in its adult phase as preoccupied because it's marked with features of insecurity and fear of abandonment and generally one who is overly clingy and suspicious within relationships. And then we also covered the foundational aspects of avoidant attachment, often referred to in its adult phase as dismissive avoidant. Now, this style or pattern is marked by characteristics of one who is an extreme independent person, generally lacking emotional expression and generally emotionally unavailable. And they also may have trouble noticing the emotional needs of others. So if you want more detail on both of those insecure attachment styles, we've already covered it. And you can go back and listen to those two preceding episodes to this one. But today, I want to talk about the last of the insecure attachment styles, which we call disorganized attachment. And in its adult phase, it's referred to as fearful avoidance. So the disorganized attachment style is believed to be a result of childhood trauma or abuse. Not always, but in many instances, it directly correlates to something that happened in that nature. The perception of fear is at the center of the child's experience with their caregivers or parents in the disorganized attachment. So with attachment in general, the survival of the child is going to depend on their caretakers. Children and infants can't take care of themselves, right? So that's a given. So the child intuitively knows this. So they're going to try to seek out safety and connection with their caregivers. But what happens when the person or the people who take care of you and are supposed to make you feel safe are the source of fear at the same time. So when a parent or caregiver is abusive to a child or just even mean, the child experiences the physical and the emotional callousness and I guess frightening behavior as something that is life-threatening to them. And here's the deal. This child is really having a dilemma in this space because their survival instincts are telling them to get away from that fear space. Because remember, y'all, our nervous systems are wired for survival and they keep us safe by pushing us into fight, flight or freeze. So if that child is sensing they are in a fear space and they want to get to safety, How can they do that when the person who is deemed the safe space is also frightening to them? So that child then is living in this place of continual distress. And because fighting back isn't an option as a little one, right, or flight, running away, the child often will go into a freeze or dissociate state, meaning that they may disconnect from themselves so that they can keep themselves distant emotionally from the fear that they're feeling. 
Now, disorganized is the term that results from this thought of the parent or the caregiver being unpredictable or inconsistent and one who has these fear-evoking behaviors. The real deal is that the child doesn't know what to expect from the parent or the caregiver. And so their perception becomes, whatever is going to happen, it won't be good for me. Thus, that fear-based perception. And so this also includes behaviors that are witnessed by the child where the parent or caregiver is perpetrating abuse or some kind of behavior onto someone else that doesn't feel safe or look safe to the child who is witnessing it. So those might be behaviors like yelling or hitting, screaming, um, severe discipline tactics, and these can be sources of trauma. Now, at the root of disorganized attachment, as with most of the other insecure patterns, and you'll hear this consistently, it's an issue of trust because there's been a breach in safety. All of these insecure attachments have issues with trust, right? And so it's no different with this disorganized attachment pattern. But what's different about this than the other two insecure styles is there is this concerning feature of fear because this child is living in this internal fear space. And it's hard for them to adjust to the behaviors of their caregiver because they don't know what can happen next. So it becomes confusing for the child to know how to connect or engage with their parent because they want closeness, but they're afraid to seek it. And they may distance themselves from their parent or caregiver because of fear yet they are internally desiring to be connected. So do you see how it can be chaotic, distressful, disorganizing, and fragmenting? Um, That has to be hard because you're in this back and forth dilemma. So then what happens is a child, especially given their developmental stage, they will simply shut down and try to keep themselves from feeling because that is a major coping and resourcing mechanism for them so they can stay safe. Now, in the adult experience, the disorganized attachment pattern is referred to as fearful avoidant. And so those who may identify with a disorganized attachment or fearful avoidant style, they lack what could be described as this kind of logical or sensible approach toward relationships. Because on one hand, they want to belong and be a part. They want love and they want to be loved. But then on the other hand, they are deeply afraid to let anybody in and up close to their heart because they have a strong fear that the people who are closest to them are going to hurt them. And they believe it's just a matter of time before they will be hurt by someone. It's that whole perception of the inevitability that it will happen. So this can cause those who identify with this attachment style to often self-sabotage in their relationships, in their friendships, and in romantic relationships. They might end these relationships prematurely. And so that way, this inevitable thing that they fear doesn't happen to them. They can also seem a bit unstable in their social interactions, and they have trouble regulating their emotions. And no wonder, right? Because there's so much emotional pain that is subconsciously under the surface. And that's understandable because if you're living in intense fear, that happens in the emotional development stages. It's at the root of their emotions. Okay. 
So this is a good place to stop for a moment and just kind of exhale for a minute. And here's where I want to interject this really good news statement. So remember, your attachment patterns are not life sentences. Um, They are not permanently fixed. They are treatable and you can heal and have quality relationships. Remember, we talked about that. It takes work. It takes commitment, consistency, and it will take a strong support system. So just as I've done with the other insecure attachment styles, I want to share just three strategies that I think are important in working with someone who identifies with this disorganized or fearful avoiding attachment. So the first thing is this, if possible, I recommend therapy. Now, we all can use therapy for so many things and all of these insecure attachment styles can benefit from working with a therapist who can help you really understand and walk through some of those early experiences and how they might be impacting your current relational interactions. But this one in particular, because of the fact that there may have been chaotic experiences that involved either some level of trauma or some type of abuse, It could simply be even seeing or witnessing domestic violence, or maybe there was a parent who was a substance user and um, maybe they weren't available and you were fearful of when they actually interacted, that it wasn't necessarily safe interaction. I've seen that before. And that's not to say that people who use substances are abusive. That is not what I'm saying. Um, But there are instances where that can happen and those substances may elevate emotions. And so children can sometimes be caught in the crosshairs of of that. But I think therapy is really important here as well, because when someone has lived with an abiding fear for so long and they've disconnected from themselves to survive anything that felt traumatic, they can really have a benefit from being in a safe environment with a trusted and trained, competent provider who's going to help them process some of those emotions and feelings. Okay, the second thing that I would recommend is to think about scaffolding experiences of trusting others. So this is a key part of moving toward connection for someone who may identify with fearful avoidance. And here's why this is important. because Trusting others has become very scary in life, given the past experiences, and someone may not be able to emotionally tolerate just jumping in head first in any relationship, a friendship, a workplace relationship, whatever it is. So really, for someone who's in this space, you just kind of want to observe those around you in different settings who demonstrate healthier and safer interactions. And maybe you just test the waters. Start off even in building a base of relationship with the therapist or someone who, again, you identify as, wow, they seem to have good control over their emotions or they seem to be someone who can manage conflict when it comes up. So maybe you just want to start by titrating your experiences with others. Don't just jump in head first and just do it little by little so that you can begin to build these trusting blocks and connecting with others. Here's the third thing that I would strongly recommend for anyone who might identify with this pattern, and that is 
practice and strengthen your efforts around emotional regulation. So if you find yourself getting too angry or too intense, too frustrated, and these emotions continue to have intensity and you're having trouble either down-regulating them or maybe even in some senses up-regulating on a consistent basis, then it's time to learn more about your nervous system and to begin to learn more about self-awareness and mindfulness and begin to practice that. You'll want to learn more about how do you name your emotions and your feelings after you're able to identify them? And then how do you begin to apply and practice relaxation and calming techniques like breathing and using other somatic or body regulation? So this is a really key area for support for those who are um, having challenges with this particular attachment style. Now, this is interesting. There is some data that says that 30 to 40% of individuals overall have insecure attachments. So here's what I say. Um, That's 100%. I'd be pretty sure about that. Like we all have some insecure attachment in us because there's no perfect world. There's no perfect parenting and there's not been perfect childhoods for any of us generationally, right? But here's the deal. Many of us have some aspect of a secure and an insecure mix. None of us is alone in this thing, right? So given that information, here is some general guidance for all of us. The first thing we all need to do is heal in relationships. Yes, the insecure attachments were formed in and through relationships. Well, guess what? Our healing happens in and through relationships. There are no islands. You cannot do work in isolation and become better at relational engagement because you can't do that on your own, right? So know that you can heal and will heal within the context of relationships, but they do need to be in the context of safer relational interactions. All right, here's the second thing that we can all do. Healing is going to require attention to our nervous systems and our cognitive awareness. So our healing is not just going to be a way that we think differently. It's not just going to happen with, I got to say these affirmations. Yes, it's great to do affirmations, but guess what? We have to focus on our nervous systems that have often been set and triggered by the things that we experienced in childhood, right? That happened over time. So we have to work both cognitively and on our nervous system together, our neurobiology, in order to really maximize our healing. So I want to make sure you know that. And these are practices that you can learn for yourself. Now, I will say this. I said this in the last episode. Be careful where you get your information because there are lots of TikTokers and social media influencers who don't have training in this area, you need to make sure that you're following some people who are competent and trained to help you with practices that can do that. All right, here's the third thing that we can do. And this one right here is going to stretch all of us. We need to recognize our role in relationships, recognize our role, our part in relationships. So right, the specs in our own eyes are often bigger than the log in other people's eyes, right? So we should ask this question of ourselves first before we blame and complain about other people. 
What is mine to own here? How am I showing up? What is it that I'm bringing to this space and this relationship that is caused by me? And see, this recognition goes across all relationships because it's not just about a romantic relationship. Our attachment style affects our interactions across all relationships. There are consistent behaviors that we are bringing into spaces that are subconsciously being acted out that we need to take time to reflect on what is mine and what is my work toward healing and shifting. Now, here's one thing that we can start with with this particular strategy for recognizing our role in relationships. Start by sitting down, tracking the relationships in your life that seem to be the most memorable or the most vivid. And then think about these questions. What was your general behavior like in relationship to conflict? How did you express your emotions or feelings to others? How did you receive someone's emotional expression to you? How would you describe your communication style? How might your friends or significant others have described you in those relationships? And so now that you've heard the episodes on the attachment styles, do you see any consistent behaviors between any of the patterns that we cover? If so, connect any of those dots of your behaviors within these relationships. And then you can go back, think about the other person, and then begin to connect dots between any patterns of behaviors with all of those different individuals. Did you show up the same in most of those situations? Did these different individuals have similar aspects in the different interactions they had with you. And remember, give yourself some grace while you make these assessments. Totally forgive yourself for any ways that you may have hurt another person and in some instances possibly have done it without even knowing. And then also decide to forgive them for any way they may have hurt you. Because here's the deal. All of us have been doing the best we can with so many learned and survival behavior patterns, right? And here's something that's really important to remember. Other people's behaviors are generally not about us. They are about how they learned to engage relationally. And it's important to note that while we may understand why somebody behaves in a certain way, we don't have to excuse or continue to accept certain behaviors. So we've got to take care of our own emotional protection. That is true. That means that we'll have to put in place appropriate boundaries for our safety and well-being. And that demonstrates our need to hold our friends and loved ones accountable to and for their actions. But guess what? Oh yeah, you guessed it. (laughs) You know what's coming next, right? They have to do the same for us. That is how we all get better. Now, I have to say this too. Nobody is perfect or flawless. So relationships are the work of one or more people coming together to do life and have community in some way. We can't just cut off everybody, y'all, because they do something that we don't like. And we can't just let people treat us like a doormat either. So I simply say this, you shouldn't just accept anything but you are going to have to take some things. So that's why we pray for wisdom and discernment. 
God's plan is for us to love one another and love covers a multitude of sins. So whether we love up close or from a distance, that's where the wisdom and discernment is needed to guide us. Now, finally, I want to say this as we end this episode, I want you to know and remember God is a healer. He understands you and your emotional and relational pain better than you do. So go to him with your hurts, your wounds, your heart heaviness, and cast those cares on him. He invites us to come and find rest for our tired souls. And that's why he also commands us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because when we do this, that's where we experience supernatural healing and love that slowly transforms us and enables us to love others. Relationships were and are God's idea. He made us for relationship. So if a remedy is to be realized, it will be because God has already provided it. It is his own love. So receive it, live to know it and feel it. And God is a forgiver. Even though we can understand our relational patterns much better and heal from them, we still do sin against God when we sin against other people. But God's arms are wide open to forgive us for all that we do and have done, even when we didn't understand we were doing it ourselves. And God is a helper. You don't have to do this by yourself. You can do it with his strength, his power, his grace, and his mercy, because they will see you through your journey to wholeness. And while you're on your journey toward wholeness, remember, you do not walk this path alone. I am walking right alongside you, as well as the rest of the freed up friends. And don't you forget, God loves you. I love you. And make sure you take care of you. Thank you.